holy and human warriors is also meant to fall aglow when the Lord knew that the assassination he would see from the church building before it began. The indignity of Asaph is a pretty good example. Promises to show you the reward, the wisdom in what he did, and the beauty of it. All of the knowledge is the greatest, most significant event, singular event in human history. So, I'm going to name them, and you may have your own, but these are just a few of the ones that come to the top of a lot of people's list. From a biblical perspective, I think it is the beginning of the creation, the fall, flood, the giving of the Abrahamic covenant, the Old Testament covenant, and that's the most important event in all the Old Testament, the giving of the Abrahamic covenant. Some think that that's the most important event. The Exodus from Egypt, the giving of the Mosaic Law, David's defeat of Goliath, the fall of the Northern and the Southern Kingdom, the birth of Jesus Christ. Really, it is a event of Paul moving the gospel from Asia to Judea and across the Roman Empire. But as significant as those events are, I believe that the strongest argument can be made that the central event in all of human history was the one that occurred on that spring day in early April, most likely in the year 33 AD. The event, of course, is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And with it, I would include the resurrection of our Lord to come and prove it again. But tonight we speak primarily of the crucifixion. Some folks love to study crucifixion and Jesus. For others, it's important to I would propose that one's love of history as a study thereof was probably profoundly influenced by their first one, two, or three history teachers. Unfortunately, in many high schools, history is relegated to the sacred semester life. That's the coach that doesn't have anything to teach. It is always free to be, or frequently free to be, someone that is as disinterested in the subject as they could possibly be, and it's no surprise that they make the study of history incredibly boring. Great history teachers, I think, should be lauded, and those who make the study of history incredibly boring should be expelled. That's just my opinion. The cross is the central event in human history. It's the central event in Christianity, to be sure, and it should be simply amplified. It should be a way through which we see everything else. It puts everything else in perspective. It puts everything in life in its proper place. It grounds us. That's what our Lord is to do, to be resourceful, to be practiced regularly until He comes again. Tonight we consider the event itself, the event of the cross itself, but not just the event, the theological ramifications of the event, or at least the major theological ramifications of what happens on that little mound outside of Jerusalem that day. One set of housekeepers that I would call it for now, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in so, but arguments can be made for a Wednesday, a Thursday, and a Friday crucifixion. But the most likely day of the week for the crucifixion, I believe, is still the tradition of Friday. If you hold strongly to another day, that's fine with me. I am aware of all the arguments for all of the days. So there's no need to contact me with the arguments for your particular day that you like the most. I'll just respond. You may be wrong. 
There are more important places, I think, to draw the line in the sand than the site of the recent Jesus is crucified. I think crucifixion is felt with the significant event. So, if you want to hold to it, please do vote. That's fine. I used to a long, long time. And there are many, many good arguments for that place. I don't think Thursday's argument is very strong. Friday does, but things like that. That we don't seek the light of the cloud, the arrest of the cloud, which is simply the event of the crucifixion in this fundamental setting. There was testimony for the one who required the condemned prisoner to take his coffin so I can place it up to Jesus. This is a form of humiliation on that day. It would be like today the condemned prisoner having to carry the Bible of the Lutheran Justice along with him and then hand it to Jesus. It's a form of humiliation. We don't do that, but they certainly did. Historical research shows that most commonly the prisoner only carried the upper cross bar of the cross rather than the whole cross. The whole cross would have probably been too heavy for most historians. The upright portion of the cross awaited the condemned prisoner at the site of the execution. And there is no reason to believe that the execution of Jesus was anything other than a normal Roman execution. Even the crossbar as Jesus proceeds to the place of execution was too much for Jesus to carry in his weakened condition. When he apparently falls under the weight of the cross. Remember, he had been scourged, he had been brutalized all night long, and it was just not going to happen that he could carry that crossbar up to the place of execution. The Roman soldiers went as he was and told a bystander to carry his cross. Simon of Cyrene would carry the remainder of the distance up to the hill of the cross. Two others were also in this procession. Once they arrived at the place of execution, which was outside the city wall, and on the main roads leading to and from Jerusalem, Jesus was offered a drink of wine mixed with milk. This is a horribly tasteful drink. Matthew reports that he tasted it and then refused to drink it. This was traditionally understood to be a drink that would draw the senses. And they said that's why, tradition says that's why Jesus refused to take it. He wanted to complete the draw of his senses as he's suffering on the cross. That's per the Jewish custom that's found in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 6 and 7. It says, Give strong drink to him who is thirsty, and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. The problem with the traditional view is that myrrh doesn't have any particular pain-killing properties. In addition, this is a Jewish custom, not a Roman custom. And the Jews were not in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus. The Romans were in charge. It's more likely that this is another example of mockery of our Lord. And Jesus is refusing to participate. Well, pretending he will have this drink. I know you're thirsty. Give me something in good faith for him. But he's not going to participate in this mockery by continuing to drink this horrible drink. At approximately 9 a.m., Jesus is being crucified between the two tombs. As the way he Ordinarily crucified the prisoners of 
this is the distant factor that since Jesus' mother was pregnant, the only thing that kept him in this case and allowed him to return a long time. I'm not at all sure that that was possible. It doesn't sound consistent with their attitude for our Lord. He said they would say some sort of mystery that his mother was pregnant. But they just knew it. They had just mocked him. They just put a pair of stones on his head and a little bit of paper around his forehead. And bowed down and said, Where is your son? Do you think they were concerned for the sensibility of his mother? Probably not the case. Paul Harris, when he comes to Professor Ballastin, was saying social conversation that he had to do about the matter. They had mocked him and beaten him severely. It's doubtful that he was allowed this small act of dignity. It's possible, but not at all probable. The probability is that Jesus hung between heaven and earth. He just stood on his back, gone, in a state of total humiliation, with a crown of thorns placed on his head. Mockery, mockery, mockery. You don't like to visualize that. And I understand why you don't like to visualize that. You don't want anyone to stand on the cross. Coming to make our sensibility. And we want to put a loincloth on it as if that's going to take away the humiliation. I can't say that. Jesus was crucified as a physical Roman crucifixion. He was not allowed any of the majesty, any of the sensibility that we might hope that he was allowed. And we need to come face to face with these realities. This is what is going to get us into heaven. You might say, well, it's our faith that got us into heaven. Wait a minute. It's your faith that received that gift. It's his blood that purchased the gift in the first place. We don't do anything to get ourselves into heaven. We receive the free gift. That's not doing anything. Jesus Christ is always the Messiah. Somewhere along this time, Pilate, who is thoroughly disgusted with the Jews by now, orders an inscription to be placed at the top of the cross that read in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. The Jews are real upset by that, and they want it taken down. So Pilate said, I said what I said, you're not taking it down. The death of this rebellion comes. So it stays up there. Mark chapter 15, verses 29 through 32, reads, Go to Pathfinder and say to them, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Your family, the chief priests and teachers of the law, mocked him among themselves. He saves others, they say. But he can't save himself. Let this Christ, let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see him and believe. And then later on we find out he was raised from Peter by Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a condemned human being and you're nailed to a cross with a barefoot Roman soldier in Roman blood and pigeon wings like the first one, and people start throwing insults at you, you may bow your head. But if there was a way that you could get off of that cross and stop the whole thing coming down, mockery would be that thing. It's one thing for someone to stay on the cross that couldn't do anything about it. It's another thing for Jesus to stay on the cross in the midst of this mockery when he could have ended human existence with one single cross. It would have been as though we would have never existed. And he could have done that. But he didn't. He was crucified between heaven and earth after having been brutalized, never having one sinful thought, and now sitting at his back, 
sacred and lofty, and that his death becomes before Jesus in the form of these things of true Satan motivation. These religious leaders, these are the religious leaders that are doing this thing. Who is this Messiah? Who is this Messiah? What kind of Messiah would be crucified? Let him come down and then we'll believe. Do you think they would have believed if he would come down? Not in the middle. Because he came out of that tomb and they didn't believe. They made up stories about him. The disciples stole his body. He wasn't really dead. No, they wouldn't have believed if he would have pulled a thousand years from their head. They had enough evidence. Most people have enough evidence. Now, not everybody. That's why we learn apologetics. We give them evidence. Most people have enough evidence. The first thing that's recorded in the Bible is that Jesus makes a cross and apparently made very quickly after he's crucified. Because it's made by the soldiers gamble for his life. Father, forgive them. Holy God, I pray. Probably not the first thing that anybody has to say. Because we're not Jesus. We're not the Messiah. We're not the Messiah. We're the Messiah. We have no business trying to pay for the sins of the world. Only somebody who's perfect can do that. And he was the perfect God man. That's why he says something evil and never brings the sin. Now, we might say it now because he's heard him say it. But had he not known of the cross, it's very unlikely that he would have said, when somebody's brutalizing us, crucified us for something we didn't do, and mocking us in the process, standing for our clothes, they don't know that they did. People were talking to directly the Roman soldiers. Under Roman custom, four soldiers would have guarded each of the people being crucified. And each of those groups of four soldiers would have had a centurion in charge of them. There's an immediate contrast between Jesus' concern for his execution and their complete disrespect for him. What a contrast! While the immediate contrast is there, to a right there and to a left, the broader contrast includes all who have a hand in securing Jesus' position on the cross. Everybody that was involved in his arrest, trial, and then his death. So the immediate context is one of soldiers, the broader context, all who had a part in putting him on the cross. That records that first of the criminals crucified with Jesus and seven other friends, both of them were But while the first stopped, the second continued on. the first, the one who started, Luke chapter 23, encourages or brings out the second claim that Jesus had on the cross. And he says, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So the first statement, Father, forgive us that we may not have forgiven. The second statement, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In chapter 23 of Luke, verse 40, the other criminal rebukes him, says he to God, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, Today I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is for you, 41, Luke 23, did not recognize that he had any right. Jesus was righteous, he was not. He was there because he deserved it. Jesus didn't deserve it. 
any other driver you take. When you say, remember me when you come into your kingdom, you expect yourself to be saved. Many of our points when Jesus says, today will be with you. Why did he come to you? Why did he ask you to come? Today will be with you. But that's not the case. Jesus said, today, this very day, you're going to be with me in paradise. I want you to know that there's no bad things in life. No good words, no drama, no giving any money, nothing of that. This faith that Jesus was indeed the covenant of God and it could be peace on the earth. And in some way, this hope recognizes that Jesus has the ability to give you this gift. Remember me when you come to That is the first thing. The third thing comes sometime later. Remember that there are about three hours that take out in these first three things. So the third thing is recorded in John chapter 19, verse 36. And he says, Woman, behold my son. And then, Behold my mother. It's as if Jesus is looking at Mary. He's saying, Mary is good. The disciples could not have gotten good. They would have been possibly upset whatever they had in life. But the women could have gotten their push. And it's very, very likely that Jesus is looking not just five, ten feet away from him, but his mother. And he says, Woman, behold thy son. And he looks at the son and says, Behold thy son. He's placing Mary into the care of God in the first place. Even though Jesus had brothers, earthly brothers, not brothers, if you will, as well as our mother that he just fathered. And these brothers would have normally been not spoken at all places. The brothers would have been normally expected to take care of the, the mother who is the most important. But at the time that Jesus speaks these words in front of them, two of them, going to Jews, will be saved later. But let that one out. Calling his, his mother Judo, woman, is not a abrupt separation. It's not a sign of weakness. It is a normal form of address for an older son to give his mother. It is not a sign of weakness. That's the point we make. Jesus is special. His mother absolutely loves her best. And they're not going to be able to do it. Then it's an interesting bit for us that Jesus says, not just Mary. And they stand in stark contrast to the soldiers of the day. While the soldiers show up with barbaric stuff, and then they even gamble without apologies of our Lord's daughter, Prime Minister. The women wait in faithful devotion to the one whose death, if they cannot at this point clear every stone, has anything to lose. That must have been the way Jesus saw it looking at this place. But Mary is as much of a burden as he is. Jesus' mother, Mary, knows the theology behind what's going on, probably better than anybody else in the room. That's what's been said. But I think Mary understands what's going on 
of this world better than you are. They seem to be totally confused about what's really happening, but know you. Having said that, though, I doubt that she was thinking of any of this whole particular thing that was too late as he was walking in the Rather, she walked in force as she witnessed her son beating a godless woman. Now, physical or moral, this is too far to go. But she walked in force. It's not a huge amount of time. It has an instrumental effect. And it was way back in the beginning of Jesus' life that he was told to make that his soul is in peace. And a great blessing it is to you. Blessed among all women are you men. This soul is pierced by the death of Jesus of Nazareth in the name of the resurrected Savior. The Christian who turns to the Christian Christ the Lord is only guilty of some of our other problems of our past life. They are wrong, quite beyond character, and for some reason she does not fully understand how to get out. She is saying, God does not need that much. Don't you ever look at Don't you ever pray for me? But it seems to me she totally believes that some place down a pedestal to play Jesus, and he says, well, that's not right, but you're too late, so I'm not going to ask you. You know, your mother and I know you. And she begins to cry. And this is the end of her own story. While not salvific in any way, the pain that she suffered will in no way overcome her salvation, and she is crying. So I just wonder what she looks at and thinks. It would be interesting to have a conversation with her someday in heaven. She could even express what she was thinking when she watched her son crucified. Also, at the confession of the cross, the three other men, formerly with the cross, Mary's sister, Jesus is on. And probably, according to some New Testament scholars, the mother of James and John, who said, James, John, and Jesus were cousins. And if James, John, and Jesus were so cousins, it does seem to be, and some folks seem to be, the coming consistent in New Testament scholars. Not everybody, but many believe that that's the case. It also probably means a side note that Jesus may very well have lost his life even one day before he called his It's possible. They certainly lived close to each other. The population of that area was not that big. And I'm sure they probably became companions. It's possible, although I wouldn't really think that either. Mary's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and of course, Mary Magdalene. In summary, the first three hours of the crucifixion, Jesus Christ prays three prayers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Woman, behold my son. Behold my mother. In these three prayers, our Lord expresses his phenomenal love. He demonstrates that no one is too easy to go to heaven. Provided they exercise faith in the right action. He just died for you on the cross. He exercised faith in the right action. He didn't give any money. He didn't promise to do better. He didn't say, I'm going to go to church and just get lost in the You know, he actually he doesn't down for the things. He just says, Remember me when you come into the church. He exercises faith in the right action. And finally, he pleads for continuing care of his mother. He obeys Rachel all, all the way through the Magdalene story. Then, chapter 2. At 12 noon, Luke tells us in chapter 23, verse 46, that darkness fell over 
to the sun on the cross and then judge them because you told me our children. Now, if me, I let the sin go. They were not my sins. That's somebody else's sin. People say they're my enemy at the present time. And Jesus said, love your enemy. He's already done that. And it was you and me. But every somebody else down the street, his enemies are you and me. And he's already done it. And he didn't let it go, but he took it. After he's done that, with all of his theological significance, he says, I said,
the difference in purpose. You still have to receive it. To accept it. Holy Ghost, to come out of your heart. And as we begin, we've got the 23 to 26, which was the prior words of Jesus on the cross. But our quotation from Psalm 31 is that first half of the Bible only. And he said, Father, into your hands I will give the passage of the All have a little passage. Thank you.